Well, good morning. Am I on? Good morning. Um, I am just super, super excited to be before you this morning to uh, share with you what God has impressed upon my heart to talk to you this morning about the Holy Spirit. Um, as you're well aware of, the past couple weeks, Ben has been leading us through a period of um, sermons. I guess I missed the kids' club announcement, but you guys did not. And uh, so, sorry about that. Um, but Ben has been leading us through these sermons all about the Lord's table, all about the disciples and the 72 hours perhaps before um, Jesus is resurrected. And so um, there's a heart there in those messages uh, that is somber. There's a heart there that is yearning. There's a heart there that is just uh, in anticipation of what is yet to come. And Jesus has so many things to just pour out to his disciples and to to communicate to them. Um, And I I just am fathomed and blown away by by the the heart of that and what that would look like. Um, Just to kind of recap what Ben has just discussed the last couple weeks. We had a Sunday where we talked about um, how we love one another. And you may recall that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. We talked about betrayal and denial. We talked about Judas and Peter. We talked about hope for the troubled. That was a good one. Um, What it looks like to reveal the Father, a command to abide in Jesus. These are all just amazing, amazing things that Jesus is just teaching in these last hours that he has to communicate with his disciples. And then last week, a promise that as Christ's followers, you will be hated by the world. I can't imagine. I wasn't here last Sunday. I'm not assuming that was like the funnest pep rally. You're going to be hated by the world. Yeah, go team! Uh, But uh, that was definitely a truth that was proclaimed. This week, we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. I have never in my life been so scared to give a sermon as I am today. Um, And it's not because this is my first time. Uh, it's not because you guys are all gorgeous and I'm not. It's nothing to do with that. It's, it's the topic at hand. It's the, the Holy Spirit. Um, in fact, I, I'm just like borderline teary today just thinking about what God could do in this place. And I have a prayer for you. And I was praying it back there. And then God started kind of working through the sermon and said, well, just tell them. Tell them that. Don't, don't go come up here. Don't give a sermon that you just... Whatever, tell them what I have to say. And so first we need to stop and we need to pray. And I'll pray over you what I was praying. Then we'll go where God has been leading this sermon. And then we'll get to John 16, 4. You'll see that it's funny how God, when he brings a sermon, he doesn't leave you hanging. This kind of all gets married together. So um, we'll work through this. But let's pray. That's a good place to start. Father, I am, I am unaware of the hurt that is flowing through our congregation. I am inspired by how we rally around each other, but I am still just sitting back wondering, God, are we desiring enough of you? Could there be more? Could there be better? And my prayer for this congregation this morning, God, is as we deal with our lives and the hurts and the depth of things that are just pushed down on us, And the opposite, God, is we distill with the joy and the victories that we don't become people isolated from you, God, but that we just lean into you and we desire more. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit, that you would just 
and permeate us, that you would just infect us this morning with just this sense of you and that we can leave in joy and filled up. And that's my prayer. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the first few slides I have don't pertain to anything to deal with this, so you're going to have to find your Bibles. They're the red ones in front of you. You'll have to turn to the book of Exodus. Um, this is what was kind of impressed upon my heart. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 33. And in Exodus chapter 33, uh, just before the chapter, you might recall that um, Aaron, sorry Aaron, uh, oh, he's in the nursery, different Aaron. Aaron was with the people. And Moses went up the mountain. And as Moses went up the mountain, Aaron and the people entered into this sin. I mean, they just just lost their minds and uh, created a golden calf. I mean, just imagine that. Like, you saw the ten plagues. You saw the Red River part. You saw God before you. You saw him providing honey and manna. And then... Moses departs from you, and you forget, and you create a calf, and you enter into sin. And I am not this morning coming before you as a preacher boy saying that we are entering into sin. That's not anywhere where I'm going with this. What I want us to examine is Moses' response. And so if we go to Exodus chapter 33, right before it, the end of 35 It says, Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. And then in 33 it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, the Jebusites, Go up to, that's a lot of zites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Again, please don't enter into this place right now where you think that preacher boy up here is saying, whoa, we're a stiff-necked people. That's not the sermon I'm giving this morning. Um, maybe there's some issues that are between you and God that, that need to be resolved. In fact, uh, raise your hand if you are not a sinner, right? No, we, we all have those issues, but that's not where I'm going with this sermon. Where I am headed is Moses' response. Moses, in chapter 33, intercedes for the people. And it says, Moses said to the Lord, see, and this is in verse 12. I, Tom, you're amazing, by the way. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have saved. I know by your name you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So Moses, in his boldness, is asking God to go with. He wants better. 
it's not good enough for Moses at this point to lead the people if God does not go with. I think that's just an amazing heart, just a contrite spirit right there to say, we got nothing without you, God. This is the one thing as a nation that sets us apart. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please, show me your glory. I mean, imagine the boldness of Moses. He just asked for God to go with him. Now he's asking for God to show him his name. Moses said in verse 18, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass, or his glory, pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see my face and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put in you a cleft on the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but you shall not be seen. Or my face shall not be seen. I think that that's just crazy, that Moses uh, is noticing that Apart from God, it's just not good enough. That, that God is everything. And I think that we, as a congregation, as a body, as a nation, sometimes do not desire the fullness, the appetite for God that we should have is just gone. You know, like we should, we should be hungry, but we're satisfied on just this Sunday to Sunday, this prayer to prayer. But we should be Oh, I mean, I just, let's get back on track, though. So um, that to 16. You're going to see how these two tie together. Um, I'm going to put my notes back in front of me. John chapter 16, verse 4. So this morning we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, And I was thinking about the culture we live in, the world we live in, um, how we as a people tend to kind of blasphemy the Holy Spirit. It's just a cultural thing that is scary. Um, I, a lot of people will say, well, God, God told me to tell you this, or um, I can, you know, and we just attribute a lot of things to the Holy Spirit that perhaps aren't happening. Um, we also, as a culture, have just kind of this um, charismatic culture where we attribute, like, healing and things that, that are not of God to God. And I am definitely not standing before you this morning and saying God doesn't heal in supernatural ways, because I've seen it, and I've heard great testimonies of it. Um, talk to Danny Lukey if you want to hear an amazing story of a knee. I met a guy uh, who prayed over his family to be healed, and their whole family was healed, and then out of that, several generations were saved. So that's not what I'm saying, but I think that sometimes we blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and so I need to get us to a place this morning where we give the Holy Spirit the respect and the honor that he's due. Um, and so I want you to know two things. One, the Holy Spirit is a person, and the Holy Spirit is God. Um, the most important passage to support the first truth that the Holy Spirit is a person is coincidentally kind of where we're in. This uh, passage from John 14 to 16, there are many times in these chapters that they confirm how Jesus thinks of the Holy Spirit as a person and not a mere force. Um, look f- through the scriptures and you'll see that the Holy Spirit has a personality, he has intellect, he has emotions. He knows deep things of God. He loves the saints. He makes choices, sovereign choices. He distributes spiritual gifts. He prays for us. He speaks the truth. He leads us. He commands us. He can be grieved. He can be tested. He can be vexed. 
He can be angered. He can be resisted. He can be blasphemed. He can be quenched. That's personal. John Piper, in a sermon he titled, This Holy Spirit, He is God, says, It will make a great deal of difference in your own life if you believe that you are being indwelt and led and purified, not by impersonal forces from a distant God, but by a person who is, in his essence, the love of God. I love that we can draw into this place this morning where we see the Holy Spirit as personal. The Holy Spirit is also God. Again, just look through the scriptures and you'll find that he's part of the Trinity. His attributes are that of God. He is eternal. He is omniscient. He is the source of all truth. He's omnipotent. He's the creator of everything that exists. Luke 35 says he is the power of the Most High. He is omnipresent. He is holy. He is called in Romans the spirit of holiness. In fact, in Revelations it says God is holy, holy, holy. Break that down. God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. The Spirit is holy. It's no coincidence that there's three holies and three parts of the Trinity. When you add the second truth, the fact that the Holy Spirit is God, the first becomes even more precious. The Holy Spirit is God. The person who indwells and leads and purifies is no more, or is no one less than God, the Holy Spirit. I think that's huge. I think that the fact that we can have a personal experience with the Holy God is what else could we desire, right? I have a note on page one. Um, I also think that we're in this unique place in history. Um, The people in the Old Testament, the Israel nation, they had the responsibility to honor God, uh, the Father, in oneness and in nature. So it's a different fulfillment of God in them and around them. The people of the Palestinian culture had a responsibility to honor Jesus as the Son of God and in the days of the flesh. They saw Jesus in human flesh. But look at us in our time right now. We now have a special responsibility to know and honor the Holy Spirit. That's, whoa, you know? I gotta quit saying, you know. Uh, I'm hearing it ring through my head. It's kind of fun. John chapter 16, verse 4. Um, This is where we're going to kind of dive in in our Bibles and in our teaching to where Ben has left off. It says, Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. I think the way it's recorded and why it's recorded that way is because we're kind of supposed to recognize that the disciples are asking sort of the wrong question. They're starting to ask um, questions like, well, how come I can't go with you, Daddy? Things like that. Um, Will Wiest and Eric Wiest would be a good... If you don't know uh, Eric Wiest, he's a doctor. He would be a pretty good analogy for this. Um, It would be like if Eric said to Will, Will, I have to go to work today, and you can't come. And Will's response to that was, Dad, that's not fair. Dad, come on. You know, I, 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 I want you to be right here right now. Well, in reality, Eric leaving as an ER doctor has great ramifications because he's going to do far better things. There's, a, there's many that will be saved out of that. 
An ER doctor might be a bad example because often they save one life at a time, but Jesus Christ is not saving one life at a time. So, But it helps us get there. But I love that as 21st century Christians, um, we get to look at this text as believers. And I like how it's kind of, it's flipped around now. So we don't have to ponder that, that well, how come I can't go with side of it? And so it's, it's amplified in there to help us understand the disciples' heart. Um, but we get, the, we get the benefit of being on the other side of history. Um, but it helps us understand that in this essence, Jesus is not the end. When Jesus says, you can't go with me, that's not the end. It's actually the beginning. And I think that that's something profound. Now look at John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. All right, a couple things. What in the world is Jesus talking about when he says it is to your advantage? That doesn't make sense. I know that that doesn't make sense because there are a few things in my life that I really, really, really like. And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about holy things, good things. Like Melinda, right? I like my, Micah, my child. You know, my wife and my kid, those are good things. That I, Bacon, that's good. I really like bacon, right? And so what does it mean for me to hear that it is for my advantage that you should depart from me? Why would the disciples be going, that's good. I, I would be like the disciples going, I can, it's weird, I could lick you, Jesus, if I wanted to. You know, I could smell you, I can hug you, I can hold you. Sorry. <laughs> it just it seems weird to me. I think the disciples have to be asking these questions. Like, why is it better if he goes away and the other one that maybe is missed, what in the world is he talking about when he says helper? Because Jesus doesn't have, like, a helper with him. I mean, they know that he's the son of God, but they're trying to, like, figure that out. Like, he doesn't have, they're the helpers. They're the, they're the disciples. They're going, to, so who is this helper? And I think that those are the questions they're pondering. Who, why, why is it for our advantage, and, and who's this helper? One last thing, I don't think that the disciples are thinking about this in the fact of it being a commission. I don't quite think that they're grasping yet that, that there's bigger and better, that there is a whole multitude of people that are going to be reached because of the desire of bigger and better things. Now you can see how Genesis chapter 33 is starting to marry John chapter 16. Sometimes we forget that the desire of the Holy Spirit will allow us to fulfill bigger and better things. I love how Moses was desiring the presence of God because he was aware of the bigger and better things that were coming out of that. I think Jesus really is thinking big picture here when he's talking about them. Um, it's better if I go in essence uh, because it will bring the Father's glory and it will restore to the Father his creation. So be, Jesus begins to communicate to his disciples this work of a helper. And then we can look at John 16 and verse 8, and it says, And when the helper, and when he comes, the, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Let's internalize that for a second. Like, 
take the focus off the world, but put, the, you know, put it right here in our hearts. I am a sinner. I am unrighteous. I deserve judgment. And I think the world needs to hear the good news of the Savior. And it is the Holy Spirit that has the power to convict. It wasn't Austin Shower that got up here and saved me. It wasn't Austin Shower that impermeated the depths of my heart with the truth of God. It was the Holy Spirit that began to work in my life and teach me that I'm a sinner and that I am unrighteous and that I will be judged. Hopefully we don't... uh, miss that the Holy Spirit is desiring to guide us towards the gospel. Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And um, you might have missed something in the text. I very easily missed something in the text the first time I read this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Declare to you the things that are now to come. The reason I missed this is because I am not a disciple. I'm looking at this backwards. When Jesus says now to come, he's talking about his resurrection. He's talking about the good news of the gospel. He's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to convict and declare the things that are now to come. So we get to look back at that. And I saw I was reading that the first time going, now? Now what? Backwards. The Holy Spirit will declare Jesus to the world. And I love that in verse 15, he says, And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I also like that that in and of itself is pointing towards the cross, is pointing towards the authority in the resurrection. That what the Holy Spirit gets to declare is because Jesus has given the authority that Jesus took a broken, unrighteous people and saved them, that he took sin and broke it, that he has the authority now. And that authority came to Jesus from the Father, probably in the moment after he was forsaken. And it says that Jesus then says, all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I think that that's really cool. Um, I don't know how to put myself really in the shoes of the disciples, like in the next 72 hours of their lives. Um, I have to imagine that they're going to be scared out of their minds. I have to imagine that they're going to be in this place of fear and worry. I think sometimes that um, when we get to that place where we are just way in over our heads that what happens is we, uh, we feel this just disconnect from God the Father. Um, and I, I think that that's where they were going to go in the next 72 hours is just, where's Jesus? What, why is he being tried? If he's our king, why, why is this happening? 
I thought we were following the Messiah. All of these things have to be going through their heads. Um, And Jesus understands this, and so I think that Jesus sees them as a friend and says in verse 16, in a little while you will see me no longer, and again a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to him, one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again. And so they're just like, I think they're stuck on the on this. Like, Jesus is trying to say, guys, you're not going to see me now, but you're going to see me in a little bit. And they're just really hung up on the now. How come now, God? How come I can't see you? To the point maybe of despair. And so Jesus kind of works them through this, and he takes the focus off of that and says, I'm coming and I'm going, but I want to make this plain to you. And so look at verse 20 when he like really kind of tries to make this plain to the disciples. In verse 20, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. I, I, I don't know. Like, there's enough there in the text to, to help us understand that, but I can kind of also see that, like, maybe Jesus is kind of with the disciples and saying, like, this is going to be really sad. This is, we're all going to lament. But the big picture out of this is that the world is going to rejoice because of this. There's so much more potential here. And I am wrestling all morning with this idea of how to communicate and articulate that the essence of Jesus Christ with the disciples is not as good as the potential that's coming. And yet to communicate to us as a congregation that the potential that is coming for the disciples is the potential that's already here. That the Holy Spirit is here. That we have the better. That we have the fulfillment. That I think Seth articulated it very, very clearly when he got up here right away and he said that we are in a new covenant Moses had to cover his face. Moses could not take full on the presence of God because he was unholy before a holy God. Jesus made us holy, not on our own. We don't stand holy on our own, but Jesus, the propitiation, Rick Smith likes to use that word, the propitiation What Jesus accomplished makes us holy, and we can stand before and with God without the veil. And that is better. That is much, much better. If I had a different approach to this sermon this morning, I'm fitting it into the parameters of text and kind of working through it, I might have cued into just one sentence and tried to work us through what it means when we hear the phrase, the Holy Spirit will guide. And that comes to us in verse 13. It says, I still have many things in 12 to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And then in 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. We could spend many Sundays talking about how the Holy Spirit guides us. How the Holy Spirit works in and out of our lives to help us to bring glory to the Father. How the Holy Spirit counsels us in our moments of despair. And yet we get it in one sentence here. I 
kind of called Ben yesterday because I was wrestling with the um, Greek or, um, word for guide, and I'm not a, I just don't, I don't have that ability to, to look at scripture and, and see. I don't know Greek. That's why I guess what I'm trying to say. Um, and so, <laughs> so there's like this thing called the Strong's Concordance, right, Ben, right? And it, like you can go to it and you can find your Greek word and kind of try to find, well, what's the essence of that word? And so I'm, I'm that kind of guy where I got to go to that big book. Um, but even still then, I don't. And there's a word, hodagio, and it's guide. He will guide is kind of the whole phrase there. But what's kind of cool about the Strong's Concordance is that it'll let you see other passages that are kind of using the same terminology. And so some of them are starting to pop up as I'm reading through this are like, how can the blind lead the blind, right? Um, so you can kind of have this image, imagery of a foal leading. Like, but uh, one that really started to like captivate my heart was he compares fully leading to shepherding. And I just, that for when I heard the word shepherd, it kind of clicked with me. I was kind of going, yeah, okay, I'm a dumb sheep. I need a shepherd. You know, like, I need something that speaks truth into my life. I need something that keeps me from walking off the edge of the cliff. I just, I need the buffers, you know? And um, what I guess I kind of was really just, and hopefully I'm articulating this in a way that is starting to get somewhere in your heartstrings. I think that the disciples had the right heart in this moment. Like, I think they wanted Jesus as a friend. And I think that they wanted to be able to hug him. And I think that they didn't want to let him go. I don't think that the disciples were necessarily being selfish and going, I don't want to share my Jesus with anybody. He's mine. I don't think that was their heart. I just think that they were failing to recognize the potential energy of the godness. You know, like they just, Jesus had so much more to offer the world. And I think that that's the better. Like the big better is something that we can kind of take home this week. And this is kind of how I'm going to kind of conclude here. Um, we sometimes are satisfied with crumbs. Um, and we sometimes let that just fester in our own lives and we just take the little pieces and go, this is enough of God for me today. And you're not experiencing God to the fullest and you could have better. But there's a bigger message here. And the bigger message here is that outside of us, God has a multitude of people that he wants to love on and love on to the fullest. And we have the ability to, with the Spirit inside of us, speak to people in love and in truth and convict. Um, I'll use a story to kind of bring this home. This week I was in Portland, Oregon, and there was a, a gentleman on the beach. His name was Patrick. Patrick is my age, so I'm 31. He said his age was 29. He was drifting through, backpacking through, and um, he had a fire. Now, I'm going to kind of admit to you that, like, I wasn't attracted to Patrick because I'm a very compassionate person. No, I love fire. And so I was like, yes, there it is, you know. And so I walked over to Patrick, and I said, 
I'm a Minnesotan. I love nature, fire. He's like, well, whatever. Can I just enjoy your fire? And he, yeah, absolutely. Patrick starts talking. And Patrick is articulating the English languages in ways that, like, are blowing my mind. He's like, I love English. I, I read everything I can read. I love French literature. I love, I'm going, this kid is so stinking smart. I don't even dare stand in his, I, we're just, we're not on the same level. Meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, God, I didn't just walk over here by chance, did I? Something had to have brought me over to you. So then I, I pray, God, Patrick's so smart, and I am not. Help me talk to him. I just want him to know you. So Patrick says something to the effect of, what is the manifestation of material, if not to articulate? And he's just like, and I'm going, what? And my head like keyed in on material. And I said to him, if Jesus Christ is not material, we have nothing. Where did that come from? That wasn't me, right? I didn't see that little inlet and go, oh, I got this. And out of that, a whole conversation about the material of Jesus, that if Jesus did not fulfill the payment for sin by being human flesh and being material and being man, we would have, I, God just exploded the potential to have that conversation because it is the Holy Spirit that convicts. And because I was desiring better for Patrick, the Holy Spirit was allowing me to be a vessel. I don't think that the disciples were sitting there trying to stifle that. I just don't think that they understood what better was. And for you guys, better, for us, better is fully experiencing the Holy Spirit. And better is the awareness that the Holy Spirit will help us convict the world. To help them recognize that they are sinners. To help them recognize that God is righteous. And to help them recognize that there is impending judgment but to work past that so that they can see that there's a creator God who is sufficient and who loves them. So, um, I think we'll pray to kind of wrap this all up, and then I will uh, invite up Seth and the praise team. So, Father God, um, I'm not a huge fan of the fact that you gave me a kind of scatterbrained message to share this morning, but I am a huge fan of preaching the Holy Spirit and um, I think that we all need to experience a fuller breath of who you are, God. And so I pray that you would just help us as your people to dive into your truth um, that you declare about yourself in the word so that we can learn more about who the Holy Spirit is, about who you are, God. Um, but I also pray that you would touch us uh, as your people in a supernatural way, that you would start to reveal into our lives the things that you offer. Father, I am so aware that one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is Counselor. And this morning, I think that one of the better needs that our congregation has, a way in which they need to experience you better, is as Counselor. I think that we have some hearts this morning, God, that just need to hear from you. And so I just pray that you would meet us in that place and that you would counsel us in that space. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.